welcome to the Convergence VC podcast with Jamie Burke and Lawrence Lundy of OutlierVentures.io, a fund and venture builder dedicated to the next web paradigm. We're here to explore the intersection of blockchain with AI, mixed reality, autonomous robotics, IoT, and 3D printing. We believe blockchain-like solutions are foundational to these other technologies scaling securely, and most interestingly, converging. It's this topic we explore every week with some brilliant guests from around the world. You can follow us and our community at convergence.vc, as well as stay up to date on our latest research and global events calendar. This week, we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Peter Flory. He's based in Singapore and project leader for the Engaging Mobility Project as part of the broader Future Cities Laboratory and for ETH Zurich. Dr. Peter is a simulation modeler specializing in transportation, and his goal with the Engaging Mobility Project is to understand, design, and evaluate active mobility solutions based on travel behavior research and big data transport simulations. He's also working with the Singapore government to understand the role autonomous vehicles will have on the city. So he is the ideal guest to have on the show to discuss what the future city might look like, how electric and autonomous vehicles will change cities, and more broadly, how convergence is impacting transportation. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Peter Tishang. What does convergence mean to you, Peter? So when I looked it up on Google, um, <laughs> I've always had this idea that, you know, convergence is obviously, uh, I mean, the, the standard definition makes sense, you know, that it's a bunch of different things that seem disparate that, you know, come together and, and make something new. I think for me, in my own research and my career, when you find that something that was useful in one domain becomes useful in another. So I think the early things that got me interested in, in urban research was, for instance, Jeffrey West, you know, who's a theoretical physicist, and obviously his work in complexity science and then taking these principles from physics and applying them to social systems. Similar is Kai Nagel, who's a, a good colleague of mine now, who is also a physicist. You know, he's now a leader in this agent-based transport simulation technology that, we, that we're using. So knowledge from one domain basically transferring to another. Also, nowadays, if you're in transport research, you really have to be a data scientist. So we've got people that, are, that you wouldn't have found in, you know, in a transport planning field sharing the same office. My latest PhD student is a machine learning guru and having to transfer that, that knowledge into an entirely new domain. That's what's really interesting right now. Or at least that's what I would understand under convergence at the moment. And so could you summarize the big idea that you want to discuss today? I've been recently involved in a project to model autonomous vehicles for the Ministry of Transport here in Singapore, as well as some other relevant authorities. And we've had to cast our minds ahead by you know, 10 to 15 years and, and try and determine how urban form should change, both in anticipation and response to autonomous vehicles, but also to close that design and simulation feedback loop to see how the one thing shapes the other. And I've found that the basic assumptions that we make in transport probably won't apply anymore across such a, a time domain. Specifically, I think the idea that there's always a marginal cost to transportation. 
So it was the, both the autonomous vehicles and then a conversation with guys from France uh, that have a, a ride-sharing company there. So actually, it was kind of a ride-pooling company called TG, where they actually crossed into the zero-marginal cost domain. Basically, you don't pay anything to get a ride. And I kind of realized that that's probably where we're going to end up with zero marginal cost for transport. And that has massive implications, I think, on the way that our cities will evolve in the future. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. So uh, we've been speaking with Bebop of uh, Hyperloop Technologies, I think co-founder and chairman, and he has the same vision. And he talks about the challenges of having that conversation with governments. On the one hand, you know, talking about a totally free form of transportation. And on the other hand, there are various kind of commercial interests there and trying to balance that. So it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit more about your background and role at Future Cities Laboratory and your work at uh, engaging mobility. I originally studied uh, metallurgical engineering. I kind of went on a sabbatical from the whole engineering field directly after my studies, and I spent about six years in television production and animation. And then uh, I re-entered the field, specifically, I think, after reading more and more about this transfer of tools from the the, physics domain into social sciences. There was a book specifically I would call Critical Mass by Philip Bull that really inspired me. And actually, that's why I saw that, you know, I think especially transport I found fascinating because in the material sciences domain, you have phase diagrams to describe how the properties of materials will change under different conditions. And all of a sudden, I saw that these same kind of diagrams apply in a traffic domain. So you also have uh, scale-free transformations of the entire system. So I found that idea fascinating. And then I started pursuing a career in that, got into contact with the developers of, at that stage, the first open-source multi-agent transport simulation system that I'm still involved with. It's called Matsum, a very creative name. <laughs> which is basically a shortening of multi-agent transport simulation. And the lead developer uh, is uh, Kai Nagel, the physicist that I, I was talking about earlier. Basically, I, I did for a couple of years develop land use, integrated land use and transport models for the South African metros with the Council of Scientific and Industrial Research. And then when Professor Kayak Hausen approached me to, you know, about the opportunity here in Singapore where they were starting the first resource center of ETH Zurich uh, outside of Switzerland, I was naturally interested in. I started. I did my PhD year together with a number of very impressive people. At that stage, our uh, module leader was a guy called uh, Alex Erat. If you go to our website, you'll see quite a bit of research on uh, active mobility and how we are also using virtual reality to model, you know, cycling to actually build a cycling simulator and anticipate future urban designs, you know, for active mobility. And that's largely his uh, his brainchild. So I'm more on the on the side of uh, transport modeling and transport simulation, and specifically trying to anticipate how these future modes of transport, like autonomous cars and urban aerial mobility, are going to uh, impact on the transport system. I wonder, can you outline some of the differences in design and planning from some of the African work and some of the work you're doing in Singapore? Obviously, in South Africa, you're dealing with a number of the different metropolitan areas, and they have varying degrees of record keeping and data on hand. It's not as you know dismal as you would expect from you know from the African situation. I mean, there's actually each line department you know, keeps track of what they're doing pretty well, and a lot of it is already in electronic form. 
but generally you don't see a lot of integration across different line departments. And obviously, if you do transport planning, you need to get data from a whole bunch of different uh, people. Singapore, we're talking of a government that's been in power for more than 35 years. Things are pretty well integrated. There's an abundance of data. There are simple things like you know using the same zonal systems and so forth. You know the, the fact that you can relatively easily join your data sources together and, and make sense across different domains. That certainly is a lot easier in Singapore to get to that. And getting the same, you're getting a bunch of different line departments under one roof. That tends to happen a lot easier. Yeah. So, do you think that the future is? in the context of transportation anyway, easier to realise in a kind of city-state or potentially in, in the developing world. Obviously, there's kind of a benefit either side. In the city-state, there's potentially more ability to roll things out quickly, as we're seeing in Singapore and Dubai, less kind of politics effectively in the way of it. And then also, I noticed in some of your research, you talk about the challenges of kind of retrofitting new transportation systems into urban environments like, say, London, for example, which is inherently messy. So do you think that real innovation in this space is more likely to happen in places other than, say, London or Paris? So I think, um, firstly, I mean, Singapore is really a really nice place to do research because things are you know, readily available. But I think that these technologies can transfer quite easily to the African context. Specifically, some of our recent research has been around using big data sources. And now in Singapore, that's you know the, the integrated ticketing system across the public transport system. The most predominant big data source of people's movement is obviously cellular phone data. And that uh, obviously penetrates quite deeply across you know the developing world. If you've got cellular phone data and you have a transport network, then you can start doing planning and you can start you know, improving things. So the main reason why my research in South Africa was, was funded was you have this self-organized transport system there, the, the minibus taxi system, and the traditional transport planning, planning tools cannot deal with that messiness. But with these agent-based tools, you, you certainly can. They're up and running, even in the relatively data-sparse environment there at the University of Pretoria. You know, they have a model that they can run exactly that kind of simulation. And it's based on largely open data even in the African context. Okay, so it's interesting. So you think actually the greatest enabler is strong open data from a given jurisdiction or state. Okay, it's really interesting. So let's dig a little bit deeper into the big idea then. Why are you so passionate about it? Um, why do you think it's important? And can you spend some time kind of expanding on it? The idea that transport can actually approach zero marginal cost didn't even come up with me uh, until I uh, watched the uh, video by Jeremy Lifkin. I mean, it, it sat in the back of my mind, never seriously considered it because it's preposterous, you know, that you can move around, you know, for, for free. And then a, a couple of months ago, I was actually approached by a company called TG from France. It's a new a startup company that are offering rides through a network of normal people that have a car and there's no payment. You know, that they don't receive any payment from the people that they pick up. Instead, they're incentivized by um, the advertisers that have signed onto the platform. And there are various incentives. For instance, you know, picking people up or dropping them off at the advertisers or close to the advertisers, you know, shop locations is enough to actually serve as an incentive for the person to, you know, to drop his, at least the, the monetary cost from the person taking the ride to zero. So I found that fascinating. 
And seeing as I'm involved in this project together with uh, the Singapore MIT Alliance for Research and Technology, which conveniently shortens to SMART, <laughs> and uh, the National University of Singapore to model autonomous vehicles um, you know, for the Singaporean authorities and also how the urban design will respond to it. I started thinking, you know, what, how does it actually tie in with this uh, autonomy? Then later on, I also got called into a presentation by Uber where they flighted the idea of Uber Elevate, which is their urban aerial mobility uh, plans. I mean, up until that meeting, I was also thinking it's completely preposterous, the idea of flying cars. So within the space of one month, you know, I had two very fundamental ideas violated. And I realized that maybe it's time to start thinking seriously about these things and what the implications are. Well, urban aerial mobility you know, violates one of the basic constraints in transport planning, which is uh, that your capacity is limited in terms of the, the infrastructure that you can accommodate your movement. And of course, the zero marginal cost idea violates the other principle, which is that for land-based transport, at the very least, you are going to have to pay somebody to make the trip. So if you have autonomous vehicles, especially if they're electrified, that's where the National University of Singapore comes into the study. They're, they're looking at optimizing the charging infrastructure for autonomous vehicles in the study. If the vehicles are electrified, then they tend to be quite efficient, more efficient than internal combustion engines. So your energy cost goes relatively low. And if you don't have to pay a driver, you know, after your fixed cost of the, you know, the computers and so forth for the autonomous vehicle, actually drops to very near to zero, which means that for an advertiser to come on board and say, okay, listen, I'll pay your ride, uh, you know, if maybe you get dropped off near to my location or if I can get my hands on all that juicy data that I can join to the MasterCard database or whatever to see how you're, you know, this person going from here to there, what are they actually going to do at that location? That's obviously incredibly valuable information and that could be enough to cover the cost of the ride. When thinking this through, I don't know if this is part of your simulations, but zero marginal costs of digital and physical distribution, what are the impacts? I guess you can understand the impacts on the consumer side. It's cheaper. But have you thought through the impacts of the producer's side? You know, if there's less money in the system. I'm sure that guys like Uber and so on are already working on the economic models for that. But clearly, the business model already exists, if you look at TG. The idea of being able to connect the origin and destination, to connect your footfall at a certain location with a certain you know, person's profile is incredibly valuable. I mean, the implicit cost here, there's zero marginal cost in terms of money, but there's definitely a cost, and that cost is going to be privacy. Right. So none of this is of any real value if you don't allow yourself to be monitored you know, in the process. And that's what you're going to be giving up. It's interesting. So we're talking at Outlier Ventures to a identity company um, at the moment who are looking at uh, anonymous identity, which sounds like a contradiction. But I think it's it's interesting if you look at the supposed model around zero cost, which effectively is kind of the Facebook model. It's the, it's the model of Web 2.0, actually, which is we'll give it you for free in exchange for erosion of your data, control of your um, personal data. And what's interesting is we're seeing a lot of the crypto community, which unsurprisingly really treasure anonymity um, and control of data or self-sovereign identity and these kind of concepts. So 
I, I do think it's interesting to see what will be the pervasive model. Maybe it'll be a hybrid. On the one hand, it's free if you're prepared to kind of hand over your data. And then on the other hand, it will cost you if you don't. I mean, I can certainly see that. I think there are possibly even other models where, um, you know, you miss, you know, where there, there's maybe uh, not necessary to have your data, but maybe less choice in terms of where you end up going. So, for instance, if you're a developer of a new shopping mall or whatever, then you can advertise right for free to that mall. You know, if I work, let's say, you know, around the corner, there's an you know, incentive for me to take to make use of that service. And hey, you know, while I'm at it, maybe I'll just get myself, you know, a latte at a shopping mall. There are other models that take care of that. But in general, what I think is going to happen is when you say zero marginal cost, you know, in the whole transport equation, it's always been people are either limited by their travel time budget or by the capacity of the infrastructure. If budget of actually making, you know, so the cost budget falls away, then you're going to run into one of those two things. So people will either then keep traveling until they hit two hours of travel per day, which is sort of the limit where we like to go. Or even with all this fancy technology, you're going to get into a capacity limit simply because people are going to keep increasing the, the number of vehicle kilometers traveled until there's no room on the roads anymore. Have you thought through, at the moment, we're just considering humans as the owners or, or the people that want to be moved. Have you considered economic agents, autonomous economic agents at all in your work? No, I mean, that's a, for me a fascinating new idea. Actually, after listening to your podcast the, the last time on this ludicrous idea of the, of, the, you know, of the cars sort of owning themselves, you know, the autonomous vehicles acting as individual economic agents, thinking it through, I realized that maybe it's not so absurd because I've also been approached by a company that's an auto parts manufacturer and who wants to embed blockchain technology deep into the, the vehicles, not just you know, autonomous vehicles, but also existing vehicles. Because certainly from the autonomy point of view, it explained to me that it kind of makes sense. This thing has to go places, has to go and park itself. It's got to pay electronic road pricing. And uh, it wouldn't make sense to have that centrally managed. If each vehicle could handle that on their own, it would make a lot of sense. And certainly when it comes to self-organization, to have more autonomy also in the economic side makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, that's a fascinating direction for things to go in. And certainly I would like to think through how one would be able to capture that in the, um, in the agent-based simulation. It's definitely the, the right format for, for that kind of study. So what challenges do you see that could uh, limit or impair this vision? I mean, a, a lot of the work around the impact of autonomous vehicles on urban form is, is being on the, the, top, you know, the token side. Last year in September, I was at the SF Bridge Convention, I think it is, in San Francisco, where they bring a lot of thinkers together on, on, on this topic. And they, um, Jerry Tierney from Perkins and Wall Architects was telling us about how in San Francisco alone, they could reclaim the space on the roads for things like parks and you know, community gardens and things. Something like three or four, maybe even more, you know, of the Golden Gate National Parks that could be distributed across the city. And I realized that we have all these fantastic visions, but they are completely ignorant of the idea of zero marginal cost, which again, you know, brings you to that point of if these things are functioning so efficiently, you know, if it's almost flawless, you know, at the beginning and fast and free, then people are going to use it, right? They're going to start using it more. You're going to see a lot of induced trip making going somewhere simply because it's free, for instance. You know. Or I'm thinking of going there 
it's it's nearly free. Well, it costs very little, so I'll just make that trip. And guess what? Now we've taken up half of the infrastructure capacity, <laughs> you know, during the utopian days. And very quickly, we're going to have to start rethinking when we, when even though, you know, these, these things are very efficient, they're not infinitely efficient. And the whole system can then lock up again. And we might be designing ourselves into a corner. So the only other option then is to take to the sky. Right? So that's where the urban aerial mobility comes in as a further complicating factor. And I think the important research will have to happen at that interface of you know what exactly is are these mode shares going to be, you know, uh, in the end. If as Uber promises, they can take up you know more than sixty percent of the trips over fifteen kilometers. You know, in an urban environment, then, you know, that's great. That obviously opens up a lot of capacity. In Singapore, that's almost one third of the share of trips. That opens a lot of capacity up again for more in these trip making. And then hopefully there's enough capacity for everybody to make their two hours of travel per day, after which you know, it tends to become a bit boring for us to travel more. But I think that is another can of worms because all of a sudden, what happens if you're not limited by physical infrastructure anymore, you know, in terms of urban form? Does densification even mean anything anymore? From the work that you've done, Peter, what do you think are the most interesting second order impacts of a sort of a, or, or autonomous or electrified uh, transit system? I, I ask the question because, you know, you need to think about what will happen to petrol stations, for example, or would a three hour commute become the norm? Are there any other interesting areas like that that you've come across? The idea of sitting in the car just for the sake of it, even though that's one of the the proposed outcomes of autonomous vehicles, we're all going to be working in our cars, you know, it's going to be a traveling office. We don't really see that happening simply because of motion sickness. So that's number one. I think secondly, as you say, there's going to be a lot of infrastructure that's going to become redundant. Again, Jerry Tierney from from, uh, Perkins and Will. Uh, said that in their design work, they're actually designing the parking structures to be either made of wood so that you can break it down or able to be retrofitted, so to convert them into something else in anticipation of autonomous vehicles. Certainly, I think there's the second order effects that that we'll need some uh, studying is to what extent are we going to see these autonomous vehicles traveling around empty we will have to consider maybe the fact is that they need to go somewhere so you have to build your parking structures way on the periphery of the city where they're out of the way and out of sight but then that leads to a lot of empty vehicle kilometers traveled for no reason with no efficiency there's actually a lot of secondary issues you know that start opening up and I think when you design for autonomy very quickly you realize that the mode of operation really determines a lot in terms of the sort of neighborhoods that you can design. So if the autonomous vehicle is largely a last mile system for the public transport, you know, so you arrive at the train station and then you know, there's a bunch of autonomous vehicles just distributing people to their homes, that has got a very different you know, urban design implication than, for instance, uh, you know, kind of an Uber model, you know, point-to-point uh, kind of travel in terms of how you would configure the urban environment to serve those two disparate uh, systems. I guess it's an interesting point to kind of circle back when you were saying that the concept of autonomous vehicles being underutilised, I think that really reinforces the requirement for them to be autonomous economic agents in their own right. But then the challenge is how do you forward plan for the decisioning that's going to be made by autonomous vehicles? So 
I guess you'd have to do a, a lot of simulation to try and see how these things behave in order to then forward plan how you would physically implement infrastructure. So for me, I mean, the, uh, exactly that point is quite fascinating because we haven't considered it in, you know, in the study so far. To a large extent, we are really trying to imagine the, the various scenarios that are open to us. There's obviously lots of issues also just with transitioning to full autonomy. But I realized that the first thing that we have to get into the simulation is the ability for the vehicles to start acting like agents themselves, uh, which we haven't even considered up, to, up until now. The way that we generally model these things is it, it basically acts like a taxi. So there's a dispatcher system, tries to connect the, the vehicle and the, and the commuter together. So there's always some sort of centralization of control. But I think this is a, a fascinating idea that you'll certainly be able to capture in the agent-based modeling paradigm, where the, the vehicle itself acts like you know, an economic agent that's trying to maximize its income. And they will, that kind of implies competition you know, and game yes. theoretical principles right. coming into play. When these different <laughs> autonomous agents try to compete with each other, uh, obviously they're network entities, so that's... Yeah. Oh God, guys, you've really like exploded the, the, the number of scenarios that we're going to have to end up investigating here. Yeah. Because obviously different levels of coordination, you know, the, the sort of the distance over which they coordinate also has uh, uh, lots of implications on, on, on lots of emergent phenomena. So I would actually like to leave it to the vehicles to sort out the problem for me. The agent-based simulation approach that we're using is a co-evolutionary system. So each agent, you know, tries to make decisions by themselves and they respond to all other agents, you know, making decisions as well. And you're basically using the principles of evolution here to let the system optimize itself. So the system is too complex to understand and to manage from the top down. So from the top down, give everybody the right schedule of activities and, and routes to travel through the network. So you'd rather let each agent sort that out for themselves. But up until now, the vehicles themselves haven't been agents. Uh, up until now, the vehicles are just you know, uh, serving needs of the flesh and blood agents. So it's going to be really interesting to that second uh, level of decision-making at the agent level. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting that you, you kind of flag that. And for full disclosure, we've invested in a team of ex-DeepMind um, guys who, like most early DeepMind team members, have a gaming background. And some of them worked on, I forget the name of the game, actually, but it, it was where you could create... Um, life forms and they would evolve within their kind of given environment and so this evolutionary approach the idea that you can't predict all the outcomes but you can uh, create the system in a way that it can evolve on its own and uh, so a, a lot of the things that you're talking about there are of, of specific interest to them and it then comes back to the the broader question about you know having the alternative is these centralized systems where you're reliant upon a google or uh, an Uber for kind of multimodal uh, transportation or a more decentralized uh, system where value and data is at the edge. So really fascinating stuff. Uh, on that note, thank you very much, Peter, for, uh, for your time and introducing us all to your work. I think there's going to be some really exciting stuff coming out of the Future Cities Laboratory and especially your engaging mobility team. So we look forward to, to reading that. Thanks very much again. Thanks, Jamie. 
Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to head over to convergence.vc to subscribe to our weekly newsletter and find out when we're holding events in a city near you. You can also follow us on Twitter at VC Convergence.